0: All uh, right, welcome Gabe from Umbra Space to the Geospatial Index. Uh, let's start off simply. Give us the elevator pitch for Umbra.
1: The elevator pitch is uh, we make the Earth better from space using commercial remote sensing. So we we have satellites that can see any place on Earth globally, and we take images and we can uh, listen to radio frequencies and send that down to people who need them. There's the elevator pitch.
0: Great. I think that was a sufficient length um, to fill an elevator ride.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What is a synthetic aperture radar? It's a little complex, but.
0: It might require a few uh, elevator rides. Maybe we can dig into it a little bit more, I guess, with the next question. So. what is the synthetic aperture radar niche um, and to what degree in your um, opinion are you dominating it
1: so i think that our i think our biggest strategic advantage and what has made us so big is our uh, is that we had a lot we like traditionally we're not able to raise money from vcs so vcs were always like well this is really strange so we had to build a company around making money ourselves um so if i had to say that umbra had a niche it is and is like technology with unit economics as such that we were able to make money which in the space industry is um very rare it's very niche
0: i love it yes that is an emerging theme in my efforts to track um the world's geospatial companies um that eo stocks are uh, yeah down a lot um and that's one of our later questions um okay i mean i have i have more questions really um about this this particular niche maybe we could have some sort of a definition of what synthetic ap- aperture radar is how it contrasts with other um remote sensing platforms or um yeah pixels streams
1: of pixels so our, yes so our satellite it's your satellites that people traditionally think about are Google maps. Right? So you think of a sensor, like a camera, we have optical sensors in our head. We know what it looks like. Um, synthetic aperture radar or radar, like I should say radar imaging Mm -hmm. is, is very different. What we do much like a bat is we emit a signal bounce signal off of earth and then measure the distance between our spacecraft and the signal. And produce imagery based on that, and it's on our website. And I'm happy to send some. We can also take a picture, of the satellite, if you want later. Um, it's yeah. So it's it's black and white imagery. It does not immediately look normal to a human, um, but the higher the resolution, the more optical it looks. And for machine learning or AI, the big hot topic. Um, it's very, very precise because you have like billions and billions of samples, which will uh, help. You can create very interesting models um, and detect objects with uh, much more clarity. I I guess,
0: yeah, and you're not affected by clouds, weather.
1: No cloud. We can see at night. We can see through clouds. Um, it's, It's a measurement. So I think that a lot of people think about it like imagery, which is kind of how our brain's been trained, but sophisticated users are using the measurement. And because it's a radio wave, there's no, it's unaffected by clouds, it's unaffected by nighttime. Um, It's unaffected by a lot of uh, things that happen. We are affected by radio waves. Um, Sometimes we have interference, but.
0: Hmm. Can I also go through smoke? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, I remember on, on Twitter in the past couple of weeks, there was an image from you guys of, I think, Manhattan. And it oh. seemed to show all these buildings.
1: Yeah, it was just fine, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah not, again, not affected by smoke, which is very interesting if you have like a oil fire or a forest fire. So, you know, being, I was, you know, I live in Texas. I'm a resident of Texas. I want to be very clear about that. But I was born in California, um, which is really troubled by wildfires, mudslides, et cetera, all these natural disasters. And where I've seen the imagery be really useful is you can actually show where the fire is through the smoke um, so firefighters can plan how they're going to go attack the fire. It's really neat. Mm.
0: That's quite topical. Um, Where I'm from in Australia, um, I can imagine you might have a few government clients that would be interested during fire Season 2.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely.
0: Okay, cool. So I think we've um, triangulated your niche a little bit there. Um, We've got an image in our minds, um, if you like, um, of what we're dealing with. Um, So let's have a look at um, some of the more investor questions. Um, sure. So what's the skin in the game of the owners and management?
1: Like how much equity do we have in the company?
0: Yeah, um, I guess we're talking about incentives.
1: So I would say that we have, oh God, I hate to say it. So we have significantly more equity than uh, at least publicly traded companies. Um, the, so the common probably counts for half the
0: company okay. stock yeah, so we can say I'll that have, the, owners... I don't have
1: the exact amount. I don't have my cap table handy.
0: yeah, but the message is that you're well incentivized um, and aligned with um, the company company success.
1: Oh, yeah, this is all I do. Is... <laughs> all I care about is increasing the value of the stock and not diluting it.
0: Sure. yep. That's another um, uh, key draw card uh, for investors, yeah. Okay, uh, so how is Umbra working backwards from customer needs?
1: Well, the entire co- company is customer oriented. I mean, the you can see it from from the very beginning. We designed the satellite to serve customer needs, and then we continue to think about customer needs like very deeply. And you and you see that. And we we hired Joe Morrison of Twitter, the most famous man in mapping, maybe, <laughs> um, who is a massive customer advocate. Like, so for that position, we didn't want somebody who had sold satellite data before. We wanted somebody who had bought it. Because if you're running product or customer success or, you know, anything that is customer facing, if you don't understand the needs and wants of your customer, you're screwing up. Um, and if you take care of your customers, if you take care of your employees, if you make sure that your like the people who use your data are successful with it, which, that for businesses make sure they make money um, for environmental groups, which is like actually solving the problem. Uh, if you're, if you're, if you if your top line is good, your bottom line will fall always. So when
0: I had a chat with Luke Fisher from SkyFi. Um... He lives down
1: the street from me,
0: by the way. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think
1: yeah, out, of all the, like, out of all the places we live down the street.
0: There you go. So we're talking with someone who's lives on the same, I'm, I'm interviewing, I'm just going up the street in terms of who I'm interviewing here. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Maybe you can house. help me find the next person in his answer to working backward from customer needs. He said that he gets his staff out of the building, um, presumably to the offices of, of customers, um, what does the activity of working backward from customer needs look like at Umbra? Is it a similar thing? Um,
1: so we're we're B two B, so like we're not B two C. SkyFi is very much B two C and B two B, but we we really only work with people who have used the data before or resellers. So for us, it's if you need a picture of your wedding, you're probably not calling us. But if you need, like, 20 images a day of, like, some set of sites for business intelligence, you probably would work with us directly. Um, but the key to that was when we started the company many years ago, I didn't know how to build a satellite, right? I, I'm I'm not technical. It's my co-founder's invention. Um, I called people. And it was the same problems. The data is too expensive. It is impossible to actually procure. I'm sure Luke went through all these. Um, It's like it is the same things with every single customer. And I understand why those problems persist. It's because the technology on the satellite side could not meet customer needs, which is why we designed a satellite in such a way that we actually could behave very differently. So our satellite, so you don't make money um, taking satellite photos. You made money taking satellite photos like whatever. All these satellite companies would be wildly profitable. You make money taking pictures over high demand areas. So it is the amount of pictures you can take over a high demand area in a short period of time, day, hours, you know, that sort of thing. Because you have some areas which have extremely outsized demand relative to other areas that are, you know, the middle of the ocean, no one's really looking at. So our satellite, we we did a few things. We have a much larger and efficient antenna antenna than any other provider. We have twelve hundred megahertz of bandwidth, um, and we have a very very short settling time, which means if we fly over a a, a a region, we we'll call it Texas, where I live and I'm a resident. Um, we could go and take probably 10 to 15 times more pictures than anybody else. Um, a lot of the optical sensors look, you know, directly down Nader or slightly off Nader, but with uh, much more bandwidth and power and a larger antenna, we're able to see very, very far out on either side to approximately like as as far as 1200 kilometers so we're looking like this this massive ax blade um and a lot of people in the market are you know somewhat constrained
0: Uh, so the swathe is quite large is this what a synthetic aperture is about that you're somehow able to uh artificially determine um what the swath dimensions are No.
1: so the swath is defined by um the bandwidth it's just, it's, just, it's sorry it's defined by many different things including the bandwidth so if you have 1200 megahertz of bandwidth and a small antenna it doesn't probably makes your imagery worse so you have to have the right you know mix of size weight power everything is a balancing act because you're going to give up things like if you make decisions you're going to give up other decisions like our spotlight size is smaller than somebody who is maybe has like less bandwidth and like the and a smaller antenna. So everything is a trade-off. But we we determined that it is probably better to take a lot of high-resolution images over a high demand area, which allows us to, in our mind, make much more money than um. Others may be pursuing a different use case, which is fine. Um, I don't don't think that there's any flaw with pursuing a different business. It's just not for me. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh,
0: So a way to measure your success um, in having worked backwards from customer needs is to look at uh, customer growth. Um, Do you have any ballpark statements even um, about how that is?
1: I'd say that The growth, so I know the revenue growth really well, which has been really exponential. Um, Right now we're hitting bottlenecks on on onboarding. So there's so many customers trying to get the data um, that it is very hard to get them on. But I think that we probably get through all, all of our bottlenecks through summer. But I would expect, I mean, we're compounding A very, very high clip. It's high.
0: Okay. That that sounds like a positive response on that one. So
1: it's like Uh, it's not, it's going like this. It's not flat. So like there's you don't need a lot of customers in this industry, right? Because you have the market is segmented in like 50% of the market, and that's saying our customers, um, 50% of the market is probably the US government. Then twenty five percent is allied governments. We don't really look at, you know, governments that aren't like Five Eyes or NATO. Yeah. Um, we just don't. It's just kind of not. We're we're not going to sell to Russia, China, you know, et cetera. Um, and then maybe you'll have twenty five percent is like oil and gas, insurance, critical infrastructure, and then the bottom. One percent of that twenty-five percent is everything you hear about in the news, like kind of cars in a Walmart parking lot or, yeah, I don't know, mining. You know, the, like uh, like like trading on mining that sort of thing. Yeah, all the fun stuff is like the smallest part of the market.
0: Right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so I, a bit of my career has been in oil and gas exploration. Um, somehow, oil and gas has been basically half of my career. <laughs> Um, is it common for people to use SAR for, like, do you have ground penetrating radar or is it still surface returns?
1: So it's still surface returns where you look at interferometry. So if you wanted to, like fracking is really big. I'm sure you've seen that Simax stuff using our data. Um, They'll look at Simax is next,
0: by the way, on this podcast. Okay, great.
1: Oh, they are? You're making your way. Street. They're <laughs> one in by Houston. one. They're in Houston. So you're going like from Lakeway to Austin. Um, uh, God, I love those guys. So they're looking at, you know, uh, what's public. It's like you can look at a fracking site, you can see the fracking crew, you can understand the deformation in the ground to see how big the like water pits are. Um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff on oil and gas. But but the the widely known one is uh, tracking the the lids. So the lids on these uh, floating oil tops. So like you put in more oil, the lids go up, and you take the oil out, and the oil goes down. You can trade based on that information. And you oh, really, on the
0: tanks. On the tanks. At the tank farms.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So you ah. really need SAR for that because if it's cloudy, and like maybe a ship came and took all the oil out, you'd miss it. So you really need SAR, and then also SAR is a perfect measurement, right? So you're going from the the rim to the lid, and you measure that, and you can ascertain exactly how much oil is in each tank.
0: Uh, So what's your vertical resolution then?
1: So we can see what the vertical resolution that we sell is commercially is uh, 25 centimeters.
0: Okay, so you can capture yeah. twenty-five <laughs> centimeter deviations in the lid height off the ground, or from the lip. You saying
1: from the lip? But okay. It but there is, there is, there are worlds where you can either squint or use interferometry to see millimeter scale changes. It is so cool. Like if you're not like if, so if you're not using geospatial intelligence. In like trading, like specifically oil, you're you're making a huge financial mistake. You're not going to know as much as somebody who is, and not having information is the most expensive thing you could possibly do.
0: No, this is great because I my sort of main passion, um, outside of work at least, is actually investment analysis. Um, Great.
1: Some tasks, while put them in the open data
0: while fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I guess so-called spatial finance emerged from multiple directions. The one I'm most aware of is the um, Satellite Applications Catapult at Oxford. They launched the uh, spatial finance initiative. Um, I'm guessing they're not the only ones, though. But um, ever since I became aware of that, I wanted to somehow combine my profession, geospatial, and, and my passion. You know, uh, I, I don't like trading so much, um, but this kind of thing, um, using geospatial for trading, I do like. Um, but I guess what give I was... You, yeah.
1: Uh, give me a use case. I, I right now will pledge. How much data do you want? I'll give <laughs> you the data for free. We'll, we'll test it out and see how it works. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, it'd be great I mean, to okay so box mica i don't know if you know them they're in florida we have this massive open data set that we add data to daily or like as frequently as we can it's big um they were looking at a mine in australia and then they were just like looking at the data and doing change detection like looking at it and it was like a boom mine. like there was a mine collapse or not a the sl- the, there's a mudslide, there's a slide, there's
0: Some the sort area. of deformation in the, yeah, the structure. So you yep. can
1: see between the imagery, like a wall just missing. And I was like, hey, is that, is that company publicly traded? Right. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's all free data. And that's something that, you know, he could monetize and which is great. And it's all free for, we don't take a fee. It's creative commons. You can take our data you can put it on a coffee cup and sell it and not give me a dollar i'm happy wow okay yeah I, i've
0: i kind of because i basically how it's how my passions have collided at least until now has been tracking the world's geospatial publicly traded firms are 193 now i think on about 25 stock exchanges including the uae uh plenty in china um, of course plenty in the us Um, I reviewed one in Korea over the weekend. Um, and I, but this is like the first time on the podcast where naturally, um, I can say, um, spatial finance itself has bubbled up. So that's nice. Um,
1: well, it's the thing is cost. It's the, we reduce the cost of, uh, so like, I don't want to say the other firm's name, but there's a, like a legacy provider that has. Like their priceless indicates, that approximately a seventy-eight centimeter image uh, would be sold for seven thousand five hundred dollars, um, and we sell a fifty centimeter image for seven hundred and fifty dollars. So, the the real problem has been price. Like if if you want to grow a market, you cannot keep the prices so high. It is madness. But because we're able to take so many pictures, 10 to 15 times more, I can drop the price by 90% and still make more money than the guys who are selling it for 10 times as much as me. And frankly, if you're going and if you're looking at our image, which is 100% better in terms of resolution and one tenth the cost, and you're buying the other data, you're probably making a very bad financial decision because I promise you all of your customers are buying data from me mm.
0: i mean my, my first response to that is what it looks like is finally there's a real business person that's come into this industry
1: well it's it's not but it's so the the kind of the deal that david and i david my co-founder had is it has to be a venture investment so like you know i i had a company before i I understand business, but the technology has to match a venture scale. So traditionally what has always happened is I've got a widget or I have a satellite widget, it's great. I make a million dollars from my satellite widget. And then VCs are like million dollars. If we launch a hundred widgets, then we'll make a hundred million dollars. But if your asset depreciation is $200 million, your overhead is another hundred million, you act, You literally cannot make money. You're going backwards. And I think that, so yeah, the more assets you deploy, the more money you lose. And this was something that was not clear eight years ago, but now that there's like, it's a constrained um, PC environment which, which we can talk about later or talk about it now. Uh, It's all topical. Yeah. The, everyone is like, whoa, wait, what are the unit economics? It caught like, so like your satellite costs $20 million and Gabe is selling imagery for 500 bucks. You're selling it for 4,000 and you're like, if you have to match that pricing, you'll only be able to make like $3 million. So it's like, I give you 20 million and then you give me 3 million back. (laughs) That starts-
0: That's running a charity.
1: Yeah, it's running a charity. But I mean, we've been running charities for almost a decade in um, commercial remote sensing, but it's over. I mean, well, I don't know that it's over, but it should be over. For me, it just never made sense. So I was like, You know, way back when I was like, David, we can't do 20% returns. That's not venture. That's, that's a, that's a worse return than a Taco Bell. It's got to be like a hundred percent a year for like a decade. And it has to compound at a hundred percent a year. And so we, we spent two years trying to figure out the technology that would allow us to generate that kind of revenue. And you really couldn't do it unless you could take way more pictures, which is kind of the, the, the niche that we have.
0: So it sounds like you were the only company that should have gone public during the earth observations fact boom.
1: No, no. Why would I give up? that? You exit?
0: didn't, and you didn't need to, I guess. So why would I it's it it very that. disappointing for all of us public investors.
1: <laughs> but so like, but I mean, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything negative, but like. If you if you have an ability to grow a business without deluding sure. yourself and more importantly, your employees. So like sure. I look at I can look at my employees in the face and be like, I know that I've done right by you. I'm not like taking care of myself first. Like I know like always from and from like day one, like David and I's comp was always like way lower than everybody else's. Like we wanted to make sure that they were uh, taken care of. And if you're going out and just diluting and diluting and diluting, a lot of uh, the employees do not understand how bad it is for them. Because if you take like a lower salary, but you're like, I've got all this magic stock and I'm not gonna go and work at Northrop Groman for 30% more or whatever, because my magic stock is gonna be so valuable. But if that dilutes by 90%, um, then you're way better off working at Northrop Groman.
0: I mean, um, it reminds me of my my formal training as an equities analyst from this online course I did at Stanford, where we calculate the diluted number of shares. I know sh- that, course. that for- That's a
1: course.
0: You do. Kenneth Marshall oh, is the professor. It's free,
1: it's free online. Okay, free online. I,
0: I, the one I did was seven hundred and fifty bucks. I'll I'll have to do the free one as well. Okay. Basically free. A,
1: yeah, they also have a good machine learning one. There's a lot of great free courses. Okay, I'll look into it.
0: Um, Maybe we can, this was, yeah, useful, interesting questions, but there's one I think that relates to what we've been talking about. Um, Not to turn this into um, an interview again about Skyfi, but um, Luke, only because you recently started selling via Skyfi as I understand it. Um, So has it been popular? Uh, Has Umbra been popular on that platform? How's it been going?
1: So I I have loved SkyFi even before they sold our data. So just for the record. No worries. <laughs> um, I love SkyFi. Um, I love Their UX is so cool. And I think it does so many great things for their customers. Um, I don't want to, I would say that our, well, I don't want to speak for Luke, but I mean, certainly on our side, we've definitely seen the uh, rate of sales go up.
0: Okay, so it's having the right effect then.
1: Oh, yeah, because like if there's a if there's a customer that need like Skyfly is so good in terms of like creating value for their customers. You kind of your retail users. They also have very sophisticated users who use that platform. And here's why. If you go to Umbra, I can only give you like the best radar imagery in the world. But if you go to SkyFi, you can get the best radar imagery in the world. You can get the best balloon, the best drone, the best uh, infra- infrared, whatever. So SkyFi has a very robust offering, um, which allow you to do really sophisticated mission planning, um, which we can't do. We're just we are a data data pipeline, and so what I don't want to do is go into like essentially compete with my customers, right? So if I start doing analytics on oil lids then my customers like hey what are you doing like that's our thing and it's like i see this like vertical um where these these satellite companies are like i know i don't have like like they don't have satellites that make money so they're like i know we'll do ai machine learning aml big data ai and then they go further down the value chain, but increase their uh, burn substantially.
0: Um, So I I guess I wanted to pick up on a a technical comment you made before about settlement time. I think that was the term you used. Um, So to me, this relates to topics like how fast you can return an image, what your coverage and periodicity are. Um, Could you give us a few details, um, I guess, about the tasking capabilities
1: So okay different so settling time is the amount of time it takes from target to target, so if i'm fall so these high demand areas are pretty clustered right, so if i'm flying from one area to another. let's say I need to hit Dallas Houston and Austin. If it takes me 30 seconds to a minute in between each target to settle the antenna. Um, I probably would not get all of those tasks because you're whizzing over those, uh, areas of interest. Our, our satellite settles out very, very quickly. So we're able to hit all of those targets, um, very quickly, but in terms of like canopy, which is our tasking platform, um, I guess the specific question is how quickly can you get me a picture? Um, Yeah, how
0: quickly? Um, how quickly do you return to the same location on the Earth? Um,
1: well, it depends on the geometry, right? So, because the so you have the north and south pole, so the Earth is like round, and the top is like really small. So, as we rotate, we have more access to the north and south pole. So, every ninety minutes per satellite, you we know, have six satellites. We are seeing um, the the either the north or south pole. However. The equator, which is big and round, like big fat guy, we're we are seeing individual points on the equator uh, much longer. I'd say our average revisit on a oh I don't want to get it wrong, but it's on our website. Mm, yeah. Um, but our our average revisit to a point, I think it's 88 minutes. It's up on a single satellite basis towards the poles, yeah. and then somewhere between four and six hours on the equator. Okay. But in terms of like tasking and delivery, I've seen, I've seen a task come down in five minutes, like tasked, imaged, and then sent down um, through a like a in a kind of controlled environment. It's not something we do like retail, but that's cool. And then, um, but but that's such a contrast to, I
0: mean. I don't know if it was uh, umbra it was some earth observation firm that I heard a part of onboarding new staff members was that they were given the task of going and buying a satellite image in a week or something and that,
1: yeah.
0: was it you was it
1: umbra or know I mean, we, we did that like
0: I mean right. I, we do that And none of we're them like- could do it in a week basically
1: it's so hard
0: Okay, and then now you're saying you can you can return an image in five minutes. So this is a step change.
1: No, I'm saying that we have in a controlled environment, right? So if there is like a controlled environment where we like have a ground station, we can task the satellite, have the satellite image, then turn back and send the image back down to the ground station. However, what what customers should expect is a much longer time frame. So maybe within. I think we guarantee within six hours, I'm not certain, but I see it times like two, very common. And the customers love it because they don't expect it and we don't upsell for it. Right, okay, yeah. It's you all the same go, price. Uh, I have not be, like, right. Yeah, that 500 bucks for a one meter image, it's like, if, if you task me that um, two hours out and we hit our ground station and take the image, and it comes down to you in two hours, it is the same price.
0: Yeah, right. So so maybe just stepping back a bit, like we've had um, SpaceX able to land rockets in the past few years. Um, is this a similar transformation um, where it's almost, is there an expectation emerging amongst customers that within hours for a given uh, Earth observation constellation, um, some sort of return is occurring it's no longer weeks
1: well i mean two weeks is insane i don't even know how you could function a business that way there's almost no point
0: i'm just i guess trying to understand (laughs) if there's been a step change on similar to rockets now routinely landing and that becoming an expectation um i
1: mean the 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 step change is something very unsexy or license Okay so our license is so well one you tell your customers the price which essentially no one does you kind of have to guess and there's all kinds of upsells and all kinds of goofy little charges like getting it within some certain period of time like priority one tier one tasking tier two tasking tier it's all bs it is when we get the image we deliver the image When you attach the image, you know what it costs. Um, It's all these little things and I'll I'll explain it. So if you are a satellite provider, they can only take two pictures over Texas on a daily basis. If you charge 500 bucks, you can't make money. So what you do is you you need to get as much money as possible for your two images that you can take. So it's like, we'll upsell here. Like the base price is gonna be $7,000, $5,000. We'll negotiate it to $5,000. Then we'll upsell you on tasking. We'll up-task you on priority. We'll up-task you on this and that. And it winds up costing $7,000, $10,000 for super high priority. Um, Sorry, super high demand area. But the solution to that is just take more pictures. Like, if you take 30 images per satellite and then you have a whole bunch of satellites over a high demand area then it doesn't matter you're like 500 bucks sure 500 bucks and we'll give it to you when we get it
0: so you're taking the more com- commoditized approach to imagery rather than the bespoke
1: oh the the idea low is
0: frequency sales
1: imagery is not a jewel it is it is so it is a true commodity. It should be anyway. So like our objective is to race to the bottom as quickly as possible and make data as inexpensive as possible. We dropped the price by 90%. And I think that we still haven't dropped it enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we continue to scale and grow and, you know, we have more launch, so we have two more launches later this year, or sorry, two more birds going up later this year, I believe. Um, and then two more i think scheduled early next year um as we have increased supply and if demand increases against that supply in such a way that it makes sense to drop prices again i will do it like i i I mean i want the data low i the cost Mm. has got to go lower and the reason why is a barrier to entry gets lower and lower So at five hundred dollars, you're probably getting more, like, slightly more retail customers. But at fifty dollars, you're getting like mom and pop surveyor. Um, At five dollars, you're getting a college student. So, I'd really like to see data come. Hmm. Wait.
0: I'm really tempted now to ask you all sorts of questions about how much you want to grow your constellation by and things like that. But um, this is
1: we don't need a lot of satellites to do that. I, I'd love to get so to that, but what would we will think? Yeah, it's like if you have to grow your constellation to a hundred or two hundred satellites, your asset depreciation is greater than your your ability your your ability to generate revenue. However, if you have technology that takes ten to fifteen times more pictures than anyone else, you need ten to fifteen times fewer right. satellites, right, which is this is like, why i made fun of is the uh, unit economics thing. Yep. If you have a unit cost that is so low, that produces so much revenue, then you can create all kinds of flexibility inside the market. It's fun. Sure. You,
0: you, you, you using the term asset depreciation, I'm translating that from the investor's perspective, at least the way I've been taught as maintenance CapEx, Um, but it's the same kind of concept.
1: So, um, so if you have... A, not to yeah, get too nerdy. <laughs> well, no. So if you have a whole bunch of cas- CapEx and those assets are depreciating on orbit right as you know mm. and they're not generating revenue or they're generating limited revenue then you essentially like every satellite is a data factory mm. if your data factory produces less data than the cost of the factory it's insane yeah you cannot make money
0: this is the simple arithmetic again, um, of, that any business um has to satisfy. Um, but yeah, I j- just to try to feed this into um uh, another topic that I wanted to cover. <laughs> So it, it was a great way to lean into it. So when I had a chat with Will Cattle, um, who's the CEO of Sparkgeo, um, one thing we we sort of spent a bit of, a bit of time talking about was how the market seems suspicious of basically all of the new Earth observation stocks. Um, and his overall view is that no one wants to buy just the simple vanilla uh, rasters that they uh, send down um, to us. People get value from the analytics, um, or the processing you can do. Um, you've, we've, cu- we've touched on this a few times. You said that you don't want to, to use another term from this course that I did forward, integrate, um, and start doing, um, the things that your customers do. Um, yeah. so nevertheless, do you have a mind to the analytics that some of your customers try to pull out of or push over your, your pixels? Um, is there a way you try to serve your customers to make analytics easier? Um, what's, ha, how do you think about the next step or, or the ne- next step down the um, pipeline um, once you have collected something from using your imaging system?
1: But for us, it's all horizontal. I'm not competing with my customers. Is a very, very bad business model. It's a very bad business model in my mind because you create a channel conflict. And you don't want your customers Mm. to be worried about you or to hate you, which is like, seems like Will may not like buying data from those guys. I don't know, Will, um, but
0: maybe I haven't asked the question uh, the best I could have. It was a bit convoluted. I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, is there a way that analytics is done for synthetic aperture radar, uh, which has improved recently? Are you contributing to any of that research? Um, I mean, does your business, in a sense, live or die by the analytics um, that is done using SAR imagery? Bit of commentary on that. Perhaps that's a good way to look at it.
1: But our business, like all businesses, lives and dies by our customers. If we do not create value for our customers, we do not live. So you lower prices, you have permissive licensing, you have ease of tasking, right? So if my customer can get data in a much easier, low cost way and make more money doing analytics, that's good for me. So what like my job, my only job, I was with a data provider the other day and he's like, oh blah blah, blah. like, oh this is Gabe from Umbra. And I was like, yeah, this is so and so he's my boss. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, you're my customer, you're my boss. Like right. Like I work for you. Like, how do I make you money? And if anyone's not thinking about their business that way, and that goes all the way down. If you have a pawn shop, you should be thinking about how to Mm. best serve the customer. Um, And I don't think that competing with our customers, Mm. doing something simple like change detection or or, or something like that is going to serve customers, serve the end user of like the answer in any way. So right now, if I'm the last thing i want to do is compete with spark geo or like i don't even know what they do but like i don't want to compete with skyfire i don't want to compete with anybody i want to just like do my thing do it really really well and um, provide as much value for my customers as possible
0: hmm. okay so basically by the achievements you're seeking to make is to commoditize as much as possible um sar and to have as many people as possible performing analyses, no matter how successful. I mean, obviously, you want them to be successful. Um, no matter the scale of those, um, the quality of the analyses. At least, uh, the name of the game for you is to enable more as many people as possible to start performing analytics um, using SAR imagery.
1: Yes, at the and risk that's why of setting have... the obvious. <laughs> no, no, okay. This this is why we have this massive free a creative commons data set. Like, I'm pretty sure we have the largest uh, like raw image, uh, commercial open source data set out of any uh, radar provider, which is very, very intentional. And it's about, uh, I think 100 images a day, So maybe something on that order. I'd like it to be more and If we're not putting radar into the hands of college students so that they can't go and make money, I don't know what we're doing. You're trying to spend, it's, if I could make, I don't know, $4,000 selling an image once or $40,000, like proliferating the data, getting it more widespread, uh, encouraging the market, even if it's on the come, I'm happy to do it.
0: OK, I think I can yeah see your, your strategy here. Um, so I mean, I kind of have to ask this question only because there's so much hype around it. Um, but it kind of s- relates to analytics again. So maybe for Umbra, uh, the latest AI uh, rage doesn't apply so much, or is it um, making an impact?
1: Um, I would say that any AI stuff would We certainly aren't doing any AI stuff on the data, but we might be doing it in other places.
0: It sounds like something I I have to leave there and you won't disclose any more details about. (laughs)
1: Look, if you're not, if AI is not in your workflow or part of your your business, if you're not thinking about increasing efficiency, um, you're probably making a mistake.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. All right, Um, so final one. Um, In the UK, at least, um, it's possible to undertake a geospatial apprenticeship. So what qualities, skills, or ambitions should an apprentice have to do well at Umbra? Uh,
1: So Umbra, we have a lot of core tenants. Uh, The first one, of course, is like we're very, very customer driven. They're on our website. They're on the careers page. Um, But I think that the something that we really like to see is first principles thinking. So what I don't want is a really smart person who will open a book and do what the book says or what their boss tells them. I I what I like is creativity. Like there is, in what we do, there's a lot of science, but a lot of what we do is art. Like coming up, like it was like, we fold our intent in a very unique way. We, we have some very unique uh, IP around our radar. None of it was in a book. Um, so we, I would definitely say not think outside the box, but uh, be creative. And engineers are incredibly creative. Um at least when you when you tell them to
0: be. I like that. The the message is something like lateral thinking. Um, or
1: well, the answer is not going to be in a book. It's like, oh, do this thing that nobody else has done before. as well, it's not in the book. Okay, great. Well then then come up with a way to do it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's a good message um for yeah, any apprentices who might happen upon this podcast. Okay, so was it box mica um that you mentioned?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so this there. is a uh is it a website or i guess we can google
1: it Your chicken i I'll, I'll send you some of the stuff it's on twitter it's so cool
0: okay and this is a way for anybody to dig into this open source repository of. Oh, no,
1: no, no. on our website, no, no. so box Micah used our open source data to do uh determine uh, a, a mine collapse it was so cool ah, okay our our open source data is on our website you go go to the umbra website it's all over the place you hit open data it is all yours. Put it on a coffee cup, put it on a cool t-shirt, pay me nothing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess this is because I, I, I where I live, actually looking out the window, I can see Canary Wharf, which is the you know financial center of London. Um, mm-hmm. And I've often sort of thought, you know, what could I do um, if I was going to walk down the street and meet some people there and try to sell them it's geospatial weird. stuff?
1: Are you in Australia or London?
0: Uh, I am in London. I can I can turn my camera around. I don't know if the what? other,
1: no, <laughs> yeah. it won't look it very good it. in the
0: camera, but you can see HSBC, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, etc., all of those banks across the river. And I have always thought, you know, what could I do if I went there and started doing elevator pitches to them? And I don't know that I maybe it could be something with this repository and signals.
1: Well, here, wait, let's see. Can I share this image? Here's a recent snap of London. Desktop window. Mm-hmm. Nope, don't have it. Wait, how do I do this? Okay, I'm going to tweet this at you. <laughs> cool. Because I have no idea how to <laughs> make, so good. make my computer work. Desktop slash window. What is this? Give me.
0: No. You can oh, share your screen if that's what you're thinking.
1: Oh, window, window. Oh, there we go. Okay. Look at the snap of London. Oh, my God. Can you see this? Oh, wow. Look at that. so it's it's very, very windy uh, that day. But, like, here's your train station. Oh, train.
0: This is great.
1: Like, and then the real the real way to see if if a SAR image is good is deep is dark water. Uh-huh. I'm like, why? I don't want to see speckle on my water. I want black deep water. So, you know, it's nice deep black water. And then stuff that isn't metal shows up. So you have like a nice little pathway. I don't know, this is probably some is that a palace? I don't know. I'm probably. Not... <laughs> probably a palace. <laughs> <laughs> that it might be Buckingham Palace, who no, knows. But like you want to see these things but like so yeah, you see a lot of interference in the water because it was very cloudy. So uh moving water is a feature not a flaw. Uh-huh. You can come in here, and you can count the individual um, floors and the windows.
0: Oh, so is that what you're running your mouse over? A building,
1: is it? It's a building. Yeah.
0: Okay, so there's an. Off, this is looking at an oblique angle.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking. We're looking at. Uh, I don't. I don't know the geometry, but right. like, here's that egg building. Right, okay. and then whatever huge train station is in London. Okay. And these like, and then like, I don't know if you know this bridge in London. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm trying to figure out which bridges we're looking at. I might need you to do zoom out a bit. A,
1: so there's a bridge with a glass top, and then these like arches underneath, and so you can see the arches.
0: Ah, uh, would that be the Tower of London? Or because there's, you're also reminding me of a train station actually, which is on a bridge over um, the Thames, uh, Blackfriars. I think you can see Tower of London on the right there. Um, right you can see no, no, up, up a bit before the bend. Yeah, just there, I think. If you wow. zoom in, because it looks like those are the towers at the. Because there's a tower at either end, but <laughs> I could be built.
1: totally wrong. Those are buildings, Uh, guys, how good of a London person you are. (laughs) You're too Australian. Um, I'm assuming this is a North up image. (laughs) Yeah, I'll go. I'll send it over to you. This is from February. The, but like, again, it's like a creative commons image. Like I could send that to you. You can put it on a t-shirt and go and have fun, Sell sell them at the corner store. Um, or go and pitch financial guys about your cool analysis of boats coming up the Thames. But let's yeah. take a bunch of pictures of London and um, we'll put them in the open data. No. yeah,
0: appreciate it, Gabe. Yeah, I feel like I've yeah got a new direction for this uh, wherever this inquiry is going with this podcast. So yeah, yeah. No. good to, to have a practical. Great. Yes. Well, yeah, great to meet you. Um, I'll uh, yeah let you get back to your busy day. Um, but yeah, really appreciate you coming on and, and spending the time as, um, we develop this direction on the podcast of, uh, earth observation. So thanks very much.
1: It was awesome. Thank you. Take care.